Hi, I'm Owen from Bite Size Irish Gaelic, and welcome to episode 49, Ever a Dahadzane, of the Bite Size Irish Gaelic podcast. Even if you're alone learning to speak Irish outside of Ireland, don't despair. Rest assured that there are thousands like you across the globe, all interested in tapping into Ireland's native culture. And for all about this podcast, go to www.bitesize.com bitesize.irish slash podcast and I want to give a shout out to our three newest members at Bite Size Irish Gaelic they've joined and they're learning a bit of the Irish language in their own time so welcome to Crystal in Iowa Victoria in Rancho Santa Fe in California and Lynn in Queensland Australia so welcome in Fall Chishtach and today I'm joined by a very special guest, uh, Dr. Ranka, Ranka de Vries, Associate Professor of Celtic Studies and Ben Alder Chair in Celtic Studies at St. Francis Xavier University in Nova Scotia, Canada. Uh, Ranka, konnasitatu, djogwit. Dias murichwit, tami kohanwaar fad, agus duhein. Tami ar aus, piasa tiersioch treisa an laar fad ibra, ach, ta se kerkalor. I shouldn't be complaining, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the town or the city of Antagonish, is that right? Yeah, Anaganish. Oh, Anaganish, I got it yeah. wrong. <laughs> no, that's all, all right. right. <laughs> I got it wrong oh. the first time. When I moved here, I also got it wrong all the time. So, but oh, Where corrected. did you move from, Ranka? We moved here from the Netherlands, where I'd been teaching at Utrecht University for uh, the last 10 years. So, and that's where I'm from originally. I'm, I'm Dutch. Cool. Very good. And you had, you must have had a bit of an interest in like all things Celtic along the way. Like, how did that happen? It's, it's kind of hard to remember. I remember <laughs> <Okay>. that <laughs> it's so long ago. No, I, um, I remember that uh, before I went to university, I, I loved Irish music. So I used to listen to, you know, Clannad and Anya and the, you know, the general, general things. And then I went to a, um, it was kind of a fair for universities in the Netherlands to show where, uh, what type of studies you could do abroad. And mm-hmm. one of the things that I found was the University of Aberdeen, I think it was, that were offering Celtic studies. And when I saw that, I thought, right, that's what I want to study because that would be great. I'd always had a big interest in, um, in languages. So, um, when I saw that, uh, I was very excited about it. And then it turned out that I could study it in the Netherlands. And so I, um, I did a master's degree there in Celtic, um, mostly focusing on the medieval languages. And I also did medieval studies. And then after that, I hadn't had enough yet. So, um, mm-hmm. I went to Trinity College in Dublin where I got uh, a PhD. Excellent. So uh, just to give people a little flavor of, when you say Celtic studies, like I've always heard the, the term, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, I never took it myself and I never mm-hmm. really had overlap with that type of study. So like, what is involved? It depends a little bit on the university where you do it. But the term Celtic is generally used for uh, a group of languages that have a number of characteristics in common. So it's currently you have, well, there's also... Gosh, it's actually kind of hard to explain. There are a number of um, languages that belong with that group, and you can list them under continental and insular Celtic languages. 
And the insular Celtic languages are the ones that people might be most familiar with. You have um, Irish Gaelic, Scottish Gaelic and Manx Gaelic and mm -hmm. Welsh, Cornish and Breton. And then you have the continental Celtic languages that died out a long time ago. So Gaulish and Lepontic and Celtiberian and Galician. So that would have spread across like current day France. Yeah. Is it, was yeah. it Spain, Germany? Also, yeah, it's, it's essentially all the way from, from Ireland to Turkey and all the way from Spain up northwards to, uh, to Holland, actually. In the Netherlands, there was also some uh, Celtic spoken or some Celtic language at some point. And is there any a kind of indication or record? Like, how can you tell that that was there going back so far? Well, we have uh, inscriptions. So the oldest inscription that we have in a Celtic language is, uh, uh, I think, Lepontic. So it's, uh, it's, it's, quite, it's quite old, about uh, 6th century uh, BC, I think. So that's quite old. So we have inscriptions on, for example, stone, uh, especially for uh, sacred shrines and things like that. Uh, that we could, that we can gauge that from. Unfortunately, people on the continent, uh, the Celts on the continent didn't write anything down. So the only thing that we know really about their culture, apart from those inscriptions, is what, you know, classical authors would have written down. The most famous of them is probably uh, Julius Caesar, who wrote about him, uh, wrote about the Celts in um, De Bello Gallico. Mm. So that would be kind of a primary source text that would people yes. still study it? Yeah, it would be. But the problem, of course, there is that Caesar was trying to conquer the Gauls, right? So you, you have to take everything he writes okay. with a grain of salt. So you, you have to try to piece things together from, from other accounts. And sometimes you can use what we know of other Celtic societies in later times. So in Ireland, for example, they, um, you have records from about the seventh century onwards. So written stories, uh, there's Ogham inscriptions from before then, but, you know, that's when you can start to learn uh, more about their, their culture. And you can see if there are, for example, uh, similarities and things like that. And then it's a question of whether that's, you know, because it's a common inheritance or whether it's an accident. But that's a whole other conversation, mm -hmm. I suppose. Okay. And for these inscriptions you talked mm -hmm. about, like uh, the, like Om that you mentioned, mm -hmm. from what I understand, it's it's like based on the Latin alphabet in the end, is mm -hmm. it? Yeah. They, uh, um... So yeah. So are, the other inscriptions of other languages would mm -hmm. they have been like that or something completely different? Well, a lot of them uh, were in Greek alphabet, uh, and others would be in Latin. So essentially, you would have the spelling of. Celtic words, but then in uh, in a Greek alphabet or in uh, or in a Roman alphabet, depending on when and where uh, this was written down. Okay, interesting. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So when when the Celtic language at least uh, spread over mm -hmm. to Ireland and I guess Britain at that time, like around that time, and I don't know what time <laughs> we're talking about really. It, it was basically commonplace that uh, Celtic was being spoken across Europe, but then the Romans were coming as well. Are we in the well, right time or give me a bit of time? Uh, a, this a time is actually compass, a, yeah. a big question in within Celtic studies when exactly the Celtic languages came over, uh, especially Ireland. So there are, there are very varying theories going back to about a thousand years BC to uh, about the first century AD. So it's, um, it's almost impossible to say 
how and when it came to Ireland. And we don't really even know through what route it came to Ireland. So that's also a, a hot issue right now. So, um, so it's very, it's very difficult to say. There's, there's certainly, there was some sort of Celtic language in, um, uh, in Britain by the time the Romans came because we have them talking about it. But for Ireland, it's much more difficult to gauge because the Romans were never, never conquered Ireland. So they wouldn't have been able to, you know, they wouldn't have been writing about them necessarily too much. Yeah. I, I kind of presumed that by then, uh, the Celtic language would have been well mm-hmm. established. Yeah, in well, around the time the Romans, the Romans come over in the first century to Britain anyway, right? So, uh, and there was some trading and there right. were trading routes. So it's hard to say. I, I wouldn't want to, uh, I wouldn't want to pin the date on it, <laughs> yeah. but we, it seems, it seems likely to suppose that, uh, in the early centuries, AD at least, um, Irish would have arrived. But then again, there is no proof for that, so it's 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 hard to it's hard to say. We don't really know until we have written proof, and that's not until the fourth or fifth century when the Ogham comes in. True. Now I find it interesting that you know our last episode I spoke with Conomynichon, and he was talking a lot about how Irish can survive, I guess, in mm-hmm. the modern day. So we see Irish as being under threat, I guess, you know, from mm-hmm. English, but. Irish itself was an invader language in Ireland. Like it killed off mm-hmm. other languages that I'm sure were in Ireland, but I've no idea what was in Ireland. Is there any indication what could have been spoken? Who was there? It's, we don't really know. There's um, yeah. pr- there's Professor uh, Peter Schreiver, Schreiver, C S C H R I J V E R. He's at Utrecht actually. He did uh, research into that. Um, his area is linguistics, mine not so much. But mm-hmm. uh, so he looked at um, some words that might have been pre-Irish. So um, uh, I think you can uh, look up some of his research, or I can send you some links maybe to that. Excellent. Well, if I find anything, Ranka, I'll put a linksy in the show notes for the episode. Great. So we'll see what comes yes. out. Yes, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And do you feel that uh, like we were always taught in school in Ireland that you know? Uh, we are a Celtic peoples and mm-hmm. we came from then, but then I've heard another theory where it's really, it was more of a cultural thing that mm-hmm. spread over. And I guess DNA examination comes into it now. Right. But what's, what's your feeling or professional opinion about this? Like, was it a replacement of peoples or kind of a wave of culture that came about or oh gosh it's um it's very difficult to say one of the things that that tends to happen is people will come in and then there's a an assimilation that takes place so um mm-hmm. you know there'll there'll be like intermarriages and things like that and people will start learning the language similar to what happened after the um uh the anglo-normans came over to ireland and then started to marry and ended up becoming almost more Irish than the Irish themselves, um, uh, as somebody said. So, uh, so something like that might have taken place, but it's, it's very difficult to, to say anything about that with any, with any certainty, because of course we don't really have any written documentation for that. So there are some words in the Irish language or in the early Irish language that indicate, uh, or that don't seem particularly Celtic or Irish. So, um, so those are probably, uh, the ones that came from, um, uh, from whoever lived there before. 
but it's it's impossible to to figure out who that was exactly. Oh, it's very interesting, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's a fascinating question. I, I'm not sure, barring time travel, that we'll ever be able to find it out. But uh, but it's interesting. <laughs> yes, absolutely. You mentioned just in the classification of uh, our modern uh, Celtic languages and the Irish language mm-hmm. was in the insular group. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering what that what was meant by uh, that word is it that it was like cut off is that the the meaning no 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 insular is just the term used for uh the languages uh spoken on you know the british isles in ireland so uh so not on continental europe hence the continental celtic languages but on you know, on the islands, essentially. So it's it, it has no qualifications of being cut off or anything because there was a lot of interaction, actually, with the continent because the Irish were very famous in the Middle Ages for going all over Europe and being uh, very, uh, very good, academically speaking, or scholarly speaking, I suppose. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Uh, Ranka, uh, to bring us back to your own experience. So mm-hmm. you said that you spent time, you got your PhD in Trinity College in Dublin. Mm-hmm. So what was that like? Did you like your time in Dublin? Oh, it was lovely. It was great. I um, I really enjoyed myself and um, learned learned a lot. Um, but it's the people there were great. And I the research I did was an edition of two early texts. So one that can be dated back to the 7th century and one that can be dated back to somewhere between the 10th and the 12th century. But mm-hmm. um, as part of that, uh, of the editions, I got to look at all the manuscripts. So I got to go to the manuscript room at Trinity College, uh, which means you have to go through the long room and then uh, then up to a, a special room, which is um, which was always really exciting. And then I got to look at Lawa uh, Nuira, which is a 11th, 12th century manuscript, one of the oldest ones that we have written in Irish. And I got to look at it and hold it uh, at the wow. uh, <laughs> at the Royal Irish Academy. So things like that made it. Um, really special experience and the people that I met there were all were all lovely and I saw a lot of them last week or two weeks ago when I was in uh, in Scotland and it's always lovely to see everybody. What what brought you to Scotland? There was uh, the International Congress of Celtic Studies. It's a conference that's held every four years and it's the biggest one in the world. Uh, It's held in a different location every time so this time it happened to be in Glasgow. Last time it was in Maynooth and next time it's going to be in Bangor in Wales. And there's people coming from all over, from all over the planet, people who do Celtic studies. And, you know, there's loads of lectures. I think there were around 340 lectures on, um, on an enormous variety of, of topics and languages, you know, ranging from Iron Age Gaul, uh, to, um, to e-humanities and how to digitally edit a text and things like that. So, um, it was really fascinating. Huh, do, do you see much changing, like in your field? Are, are there certain topics that are really pushing ahead or does it kind of go bit by bit, year by year? Um, no, there's uh, there's actually a lot being done in the way of digital humanities and e-humanities at the moment. And so research has been able to progress a lot with the digitization of manuscripts. So uh, you don't have to be in, say, Dublin to look at Lawanawira, for example, mm-hmm. um, because you can access it online. And that has helped quite a bit. But now people are getting into digital editions and things like that. And there have just been two projects that have received a lot of funding. One is by David Stifter in Maynooth, 
and one by uh, Gregory Toner in Belfast. And both of them have to do with dating Irish texts. So this is one of the big issues if you're studying medieval Irish, uh, is that it's very difficult to say when a text was written, because usually we don't know who was the author of a particular text. So there's a lot of research being done at the moment uh, into that. So hopefully within about five years, we'll be able to more accurately date the texts and so see what the developments in the language uh, have been like over time. And that'll open up a lot of possibility for, for further research and more accurate dating and things like that. So that's all actually mm. very exciting. Cool. So these uh, different manuscripts that can't be very well dated, it's mm-hmm. like you've got them spread out on the table in front of you and you don't know really what order they're coming in. Is that Yeah, it? well, the problem is that a lot of the stories and a lot of the texts were transmitted orally before they were written down. And then uh, people would copy them in other manuscripts, a little bit like you would copy, you know, a newspaper article that you would like, and then you pass it on to somebody else and they'd copy it themselves. You know, these days that's antiquated, of course. But the problem is that when with medieval texts is that you might have a, a manuscript that dates that was written down or the text in it was written down in the 15th century, but some of the texts in it are much older. So for mm-hmm. my thesis, what I looked at was one of the manuscripts uh, was manuscripts that they have in Oxford that is dated to the 15th century. But the text in it that I was looking at can be dated to the 7th century. So that's centuries and centuries of transmissions are between that. And it's really difficult to date text because, of course, over time, people modernize it accidentally. So if I were to give you, for example, uh, a medieval Irish text and would ask you to copy it out, you'd probably add things to it that wouldn't have been in the original. Mm. For example, they might not have written out a H uh, after a lenighted consonant in early Irish, but because you know what it's supposed to be sounding like in modern Irish, you might add that without thinking about it. So mm. you have to try to see if you can strip back those layers, and that can be quite challenging. So was it early Irish you uh, gave the term, was it? That yeah. It was for your PhD research. So yeah. You mentioned the dates of the potential years of the manuscripts, but mm-hmm. how would you define early Irish as a term? Early Irish as a term is generally a term used for uh, the stage of the language that encompasses Old Irish and Middle Irish. So you have Old Irish, which is usually dated from around 600 to 900. And then there's Middle Irish, about 900 to about 1200. And that's followed on by early modern Irish from 1200 to about 1600. And 1600 is the time roughly when modern Irish starts. Hmm. And I, I know this might be hard to describe, but like, what's your impression? How much did it change? Like, how Irish was the Irish of year 600? It's, uh, in a way, it's, well, of course, parts of it are very similar to modern Irish, except uh, you had a lot more cases. So if you study modern Irish, you have, you know, Antishal Anamnach and Antishal Ginnedach, etc. Well, you had those in Old Irish as well. You can compare Old Irish a little bit in that sense, grammatically speaking, with Latin. So in a way, similar to how Latin and, and uh, Italian relate these days, you can compare Old Irish with, with modern Irish. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's, you know, it doesn't entirely uh, encompass it, but it's just to give you an idea of how you can compare it. Interesting. Yeah. And this might be blasphemy in your circles, Amanda, <laughs> but do you think that Irish will simplify more as the years go by? I think it might. And uh, you see certain things happening in spelling and things like that. And I think 
I don't know, looking over time, it, it seems that it's, it's certainly been simpli has been simplifying from old Irish onwards in the sense that you have all these cases and you are using all of them, but um, you see that less and less. So in old Irish, there was a very clear distinction between the spelling of particular nouns in uh, the nominative and different from the genitive and different from the dative. And in Middle Irish, that already in some cases starts to kind of fall together so that in uh, in modern Irish, most of your distinctions, I think, are seen between the, the genitive and essentially anything else. So um, except for some some petrified cases and things like that. So it's it's hard. It's hard to predict. It might be headed that way. But then I'm not uh, I'm not a linguist. So it's it's hard for me to yeah. <laughs> to predict. <Who> knows? <laughs> Here, um, jumping back over to Canada. So mm -hmm. what's it like living in Anaganish? It's great. It's a uh, uh, it's a reasonably small town. So it's about it has about 5000 people in it. And then the university has about 5,000 students. So <laughs> the population doubles when they arrive. But it's, it's very good. It's, uh, you can see that there's a, a lot of Gaelic uh, heritage and, and culture in the community. So in the department, we organize these Thai Kaylees about once every month where people from the university are interested in Gaelic, but also from the community come in and people will uh, speak uh, Gaelic to each other and there are some stories and dancing and singing and music and that kind of thing. So, um, uh, so there's, yeah, there's quite a few people, uh, with, um, Scottish heritage. I, I was looking it up. I think, I think about a third of people in Nova Scotia or something like that. A very, very large number. Mm. And you said you were telling me that, uh, there are indeed speakers of uh, Scottish Gaelic. There are. Like, yes. Yeah. 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 It's, it's estimated there are about, uh, 1,275 speakers at the moment, but that said, it's being taught in, um, in schools. So, uh, from grade four onwards, uh, here in the local schools, you can, um, you can choose to take Gaelic. And I think at the moment there are about 300 students uh, in secondary school that are taking Gaelic in Anaganish County alone. So that's a fairly, fairly good number. I'd say in a few years, we'll need some more Gaelic teachers. Oh, that's excellent, isn't it? Just yeah. on the, the term Gaelic. So mm -hmm. I've heard uh, particularly Scottish people yeah. talk about their language. Even when they're speaking in English, they say they term it Gaelic. Gaelic, yes. So do you get that in Canada or is it just? Gaelic no, across the board. They tend to speak or they tend to call it Gaelic, which was very confusing to me at the time because hmm. I was used to the term Gaelic uh, for for Scottish Gaelic. So uh, it was confusing in the beginning. But Gaelic is the is a term uh, used here for Gaelic. And then uh, there's also Irish Gaelic, of course. So that's that makes it that makes it more challenging, I suppose. Oh, that's interesting, yeah. yeah. Because um, people have been asking us at Bite Size Irish Gaelic, you know, all through the years, it's always been a question mm -hmm. we get. Um, so originally, I was telling people, uh, this was all written down, mm -hmm. that it was a Scottish Gaelic. And definitely, if you're in Ireland, it's either a very Americanized term or people will yes. tend to relate it to Scottish Gaelic. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, you it's just, an interesting little mixture, isn't it? It is, it is. If you well, if you say here, if you say Irish, people tend to tend to think more of Hiberno English, which, you know, is not the same thing at all. So <laughs> so it can get quite if you say Gaelic, people have more of an um an idea, I think, what what you mean. If you say Irish Gaelic, then 
they have um they have an they know that you're not you know that you don't mean hiberno english but actually gaelic as in yeah Gaelge. yeah and uh, last couple of questions yeah, Anga. how absolutely. did you pick up your lovely irish yourself it's <laughs> um, did you study it for a long time along the way or how did it go no i um i studied uh i studied some irish when i was a student back in utrecht in the netherlands and then uh, I took some Irish when I was uh, in Ireland a long time ago. Well, not too long, but longish. Um, uh, so, um, uh, and I try to, you know, listen to some um, Gaelic whenever I can. I, I taught a course, a beginner's course in modern Irish uh, here last year, uh, which was great fun. And uh, the students really enjoyed it as well. So oh, it was nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, <laughs> that's, that's show much rest. interest. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, no, no, no. No, go ahead. Did they show much interest in learning the language? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they were, uh, they were very interested for, for various reasons. Some of them just enjoyed, uh, Irish culture and then other people had, uh, Irish heritage and so, uh, wanted to learn more about that or might have had somebody, uh, like a grandparent or great grandparent who was a fluent Irish speaker and they might have, um, you know, they might have a special place, you know, in their, in their growing up and, uh, they might want to get back to it. So, um, and then there are some people who knew, uh, Scottish Gaelic and were very interested in also learning Irish Gaelic. So it's, it's very varying, but everybody, all of the students were very enthusiastic about it. Oh, that's cool. Ranka, I could have asked you plenty of more questions, <laughs> uh, delving in a bit more into the Scottish Gaelic and onwards. Yeah. Uh, thanks so much for your time today. Really, I, I got to ask some questions that are always niggling at me, you know. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it was lovely. We can always do a follow-up interview, I suppose. Ah, excellent. <laughs> excellent. Well, you know what? Um, people can come to the show notes uh, of this episode and ask their questions. And if there are any, we'll mm-hmm. let you know, Ranka, because they'll Absolutely. be at Irish slash podcast four nine. So there you go. Ranka Grimila Mahagut Asakudama. The Fulturot. So it was it was lovely having Ranka on uh, the podcast today. And at Bite Size Irish Gaelic we let you make a real connection with your Irish heritage uh, by learning to speak the Irish language in bite sized portions. And you can take a no obligations free trial. Uh, to try the enti- entire program at bitesize.irish slash try. And I wanted to thank uh, Terry Tatton and Janet Partlow. They were uh, listeners of the podcast. And over the last couple of months, they sent in their suggestions of who it'd be nice to uh, interview on this podcast. So it's always nice to hear from uh, listeners through our website. Thanks to Tsukumo in Japan for their music, which you hear on this episode under a Creative Commons license. And until the next episode, Slán Gafoil. Bye for now. <laughs>